Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard How to Do the Work Masterclass. Last episode, we explored the importance of creating new daily habits to help us better identify and meet our authentic needs through the daily practice of reparenting. Many of us continue to struggle coping with our emotional needs and don't know how to safely regulate our feelings, keeping us emotionally overwhelmed by or disconnected from the world around us. This episode, Jenna and I will dive in to chapter 12 of how to do the work, emotional maturity. Hello, everyone, and thank you again for joining us for this week's episode. Now, emotional maturity sounds great, right? Well, what actually is emotional maturity? Emotional maturity is the ability to regulate one's emotions. It allows for flexible thinking, open communication, and resilience in stressful situations. Emotional maturity allows us to tolerate all of the emotions that human life comes with and to cope with them adaptively as opposed to lashing out, screaming, storming around, or shutting down as many of us do. Emotional maturity includes the ability to authentically express ourselves and to cultivate peace when we are misunderstood. It is the ability to create and hold space for others' authentic self-expression as well. Now, while emotional maturity can be found in what Nicole just described, on the contrast, we have emotional immaturity, which, as you may have guessed, is the opposite of emotional maturity. So the inability to authentically express oneself and to cultivate peace or the inability to hold space for others and their authentic self-expression. Emotional immaturity is also the inability to tolerate all emotions, whether with yourself and with others. Now, this one is so important here. So an inability to tolerate emotions. Well, first, we have to define really what an emotion is. Absolutely. And I, this is a great place to start, Jenna, because I know a lot of us out there are a bit confused um, with what emotions are. So quite simply, emotions are physiological events. They're sensations in our body. They're hormonal shifts and changes that last about 90 seconds. They're the cortisol and the adrenaline spike, the dopamine that does get released in our body that maps onto sensations. We feel tightness, we feel tension, we feel agitation, though those sensations go away if we allow them. So I know a lot of you listening probably are stuck in emotions for very much longer than 90 seconds. And here's why, because most of us don't allow our emotions to remain as physiological objective events. Instead, we bring them up to our mind. As I say, we begin to do mental gymnastics with them. We rehearse the story that caused the feeling. We ruminate on how this always happens. We might even imagine a future where this continues to happen. We keep ourselves stuck in our feelings because the more we think those thoughts, the more we continue to release those hormones, those chemicals, we continue to shift the energy in our bodies. So a lot of you out there listening might be stuck in emotions for well beyond 90 seconds, for days, for weeks. Some of us are stuck in our emotions for years and decades. So I can sit here and say, you know, till I'm blue in the face that emotions are objective events in the body, they're physiological events. The practice here is really becoming aware that that is the case for you. 
when we allow our emotions to remain as objective sensations, we actually give our body the opportunity to return back to baseline as it wants to do. When cortisol and adrenaline spike, our body quite naturally, physiologically wants to go back to that baseline of calm. However, again, if we bring it up to our mind, we continue to release those chemicals keeping us stuck. So what's the practice? The practice now is to cultivate that objective relationship with our bodies and with our emotions. In How to Do the Work, I even provided a guided meditation called the Body Connection Meditation, where we can begin this practice of learning, because we have to teach ourselves how to be an objective observer of the emotions that are sensations in our bodies. I want to highlight that last line that Nicole just said of emotions being sensations in your body. So emotions are physiological sensations or feelings that we experience in our body. Now, being a gymnast myself, I really resonate when you say that piece on mental gymnastics, right? So many of us don't often allow an emotion to just be in our body. We do bring it up to our minds in this mental gymnastics and start running these stories and these narratives that we've attached to certain feelings and sensations. So well, witnessing myself, using me as an example, taking the physiological sensations of like burning or sweating, my body temperature rising, my heart immediately racing, that usually happens in a moment of this anger or this rage or this resentment, that mental gymnastics that then subsequently in some cases would have me act out or lash out or react like a volcano or explosive. So there were absolutely times when I felt all of those sensations in an argument or a conflict and then did explode For those of you listening, this is really important as it's likely how witnessing will go for you at first. You're going to be witnessing the emotions while you're experiencing them. So when I first began witnessing myself in those moments of reactivity or explosion or anger, when I could feel the physical sensations coming and I'd let my my brain run with these stories and these narratives, I could watch myself doing it. I still exploded. I still reacted in an unfavorable way or in a way that really didn't work for myself or those around me. And I was witnessing it while in the process. To be able to witness while doing so is really the first step. The value of understanding this 90-second rule of emotion and putting this observation and witnessing into practice is the ability then to navigate your emotions instead of allowing your emotions to completely wash over and take over you. So I'll give you an example just from this morning of my own practice where I watched myself go through this observation, this witnessing, and this practice in response to a specific situation that I watched my body do the same thing, begin to heat up, my palms got sweaty, my heart started racing, my face started burning. I could feel that volcano start to kind of cook all of this pressure in me. All of those same familiar body sensations that have in the past, even in the recent past, sent my mental world into those narratives of rage Now, this morning, when I felt those emotions of anger and rage, those physiological sensations, when I felt them flood my body with the same familiar sensations, the same heart racing, sweaty palms, I was conscious of knowing that they would pass. I was conscious of this 90-second rule of emotions. I had the awareness of what those emotions actually were, that they could remain as physiological instead of going up to this monkey mind where I'm going to continue just running stories about them. 
I was able to keep them in my body, look at them as physiological sensations without the mental stories and then the subsequent explosion that would historically always follow, right? I was able to respond and observe and act differently. So I watched and allowed them to pass. This is the key here. I was able to navigate the emotions rather than being overtaken by them. Now, when I first began practicing this, was I able to navigate them without being overtaken? Absolutely not. I was overtaken by them without knowing it. And then I began a practice of knowing that I was being overtaken by them because I then became a witness. I was an observer, still being overtaken, still exploding, but witnessing. The next step is what I was able to put into practice and embody this morning in that example where I felt the same sensations come on and was able in that moment to say, Jenna, you see what's coming, you know the mental stories you attach with it, allow the physical sensation to pass and it will. So I was able to respond and remain calm instead of reacting like this historical Jenna volcano explosion. So this right here, what I've just described to you is the beginning of building emotional maturity. This is key. It's meeting yourself where you are right now. And in order to meet yourself where you are right now, you must be able to see and observe yourself. That meant meeting myself in those moments where I did explode and I witnessed myself exploding. Instead of going and criticizing and beating myself up afterwards, I was able to extend some love to myself and acknowledge myself for, hey, yeah, you got stuck in that loop, but you also witnessed that you were in it. And I kept putting it into practice and and then a morning like this morning comes up where a volcano didn't explode. It could have and in the past would have, but I was able to stop and to navigate through it. So how can you begin doing that? How can you begin to cultivate this emotional maturity in your life? So I want to go back to a point you made, Jenna, because I think it's really important here, which is the first step for many of us is to see how we are bringing our emotions up into our mind. Mm -hmm. Because to speak to the point I heard you make earlier, for many of us, this is happening outside of our awareness. All we're feeling and experiencing is a feeling that continues and continues and continues seemingly with no end. So as we practice being the observer, as we turn our spotlight of attention right into our mind, we then can begin to see all of the stories that we're creating that are continuing this emotion on in our bodies. Because the body reaction that continues is also real, right? We are stuck in that emotional response. Those sensations actually don't stop. And again, likely it's because we're starting to spin the stories in our mind. So for many of you listening, that's a very important first step is being able to see, turn that spotlight in and say, oh, okay, I have just stewed. I am just repeating what happened and I am just continuing my emotion as a result. So how do we begin to cultivate emotional maturity? We're going to break this down into three steps. So step one, we've already spoken about. And again, acknowledging that this is a practice, the practice of objectively, and as Jenna just mentioned, compassionately, not in judgment, witnessing our body and its ever-changing sensations by taking moments throughout our day for many of us to begin to cultivate a relationship with our body. For those of you listening that have resonated with my spaceship metaphor, living life disconnected from our bodies, that is a huge important first step is rebuilding that foundational connection or else Jenna and I could sit here all day and talk about these sensations that you're just not yet feeling in your body. So for many of us, step one, as we always say, there's no linear, there's no time. This is when step one ends. This is about learning your own body and its sensations. 
that helps us create the foundation then for step two, which is helping your body return to homeostasis by soothing or essentially by finding ways to calm after we have a stressful event. The reality that most of us witness into our adulthood is we don't actually have tools. We don't know how to help our body come back into balance. And what many of us actually see, and I know I'm the first person to admit I saw this in myself, very similar coping habits in ourselves that maybe were modeled to us in our childhood. We carry the same ways of yelling, screaming, tantruming outward, or dissociating, numbing, checking out entirely when we have an emotion. Typically, they're the same things we learned in childhood. So when we enter adulthood, many of us could benefit by learning new ways to soothe ourselves. The whole chapter we spoke about mind-body connection around the vagus nerve, that's a great place to start. Learning how to actually activate your nervous system to bring yourself down to calm if you are stuck in that fight or flight, or to activate some stimulation in your nervous system if you're stuck in that parasympathetic. I'll share my own story. Um, as I began to explore my own relationship with my emotions, I saw very similar coping habits in myself that I saw in my family. I saw a tendency to check out, to act like things didn't bother me, to stuff or suppress what I was feeling, very similar to what I saw in my mom. And then once I couldn't suppress or stuff it anymore, I saw another tendency to explode outward, to scream, to yell, just like I saw in my dad, right? So for me, I, I, I can relate to those moments for a lot of us of shame, of, oh my gosh, what did I say? What did I do in that moment of reactivity? I didn't mean it. So the goal of emotional maturity is to help us come back in alignment, help our bodies return back to balance so that when we do express ourselves in the world, it is what we mean. It is coming from our authentic self. And it's not just a remnant of our past, of our past emotional reactivity. So then what does that look like if you're bringing yourself back into balance or back into homeostasis or activating that vagus nerve? What does that actually look like in real life? We talked a bit about this in the previous episode on reparenting. You may see some similarities in these. It really is self-love and self-care. The first one for me, you'll hear me say a lot as Nicole does as well, I love nature. You are a natural being of the natural world. So nature in itself is inherently calming. I like to look at it as really the heartbeat of humanity. So I will always find myself walking out the door and going to ground myself in nature. Maybe taking a bath or listening to my favorite music. I know, and again, this is reparenting. A couple of weeks ago, I was in the bathtub listening to some really old Christina Aguilera that you know, 17-year-old, 18-year-old Jenna really loved. And it felt soothing. It felt calming at that time. Many of you may notice when you're feeling agitated, when you're feeling a lot of emotion, you need to kind of work it out. You need to move your body and find a way to release and find an outlet for that emotion. You may want to snuggle with a cat or snuggle with a, a partner or a friend and have that that co-regulation of someone else's heart. I know in times, 
even just at home when I'm stressed out, I'll, I'll go search for the cat. I'll grab a cat. I'll snuggle the cat or Clark really hard right next to my heart. I'm like, well, Clark, you have your nervous system. It's calm. You're purring. I'm going to put your heart on my heart and really give love and receive love. And we mentioned in the last episode that deep belly breathing to activate that vagus nerve. And I love putting one hand on my stomach, one hand on my heart, just taking a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth and doing this consistently. It's a really quick one to go through throughout the day when you're feeling reactive, when you're feeling sensations. Such great practical tools. Um, the takeaway here is practicing those tools, right? Beginning to actually, you know, through conscious intention and action, begin to help your body return back to that balance. If we practice steps one and steps two consistently enough, cultivate a relationship with my body so that I can witness its changing sensations as I see my nervous system shifting into different states of activation, that will allow me to help it along, help bring it back to that balance. Both of those steps help build the foundation for step three, for step three, which applies to all of the moments where we actually can't shift or change our environment. We can't leave what's happening around us. And in those moments, we're stuck with enduring or tolerating what's happening and our sensations in our body. Sometimes we can't escape stress. Sometimes we can't go on the walk that we know we need. So what do we do then? The more we show ourselves that we can tolerate these emotions, the more we separate from all of the stories and allow them to just be in our bodies, the more we're rebuilding that trust and that confidence that I can sit through stressful feelings and see that over time they will actually go away. Now, this doesn't just happen, there's a lot of factors that contribute to whether or not I can tolerate emotions in any given time. And the number one factor, and we actually talked about this in the self-healer circle this past month when we were doing some energy work, we began to explore the topic of resources, of energy resources. What does that mean? How much energy does my body have accessible? Our energy resources are affected by how are we sleeping? How are we eating? Like Jenna said, how is my body being cared for? And what I've noticed for myself, when I'm not sleeping, when I'm not eating well, I actually can't tolerate my emotions. So those moments where I can't escape become really much more difficult. And what I do see is those old tendencies to dissociate then, to check out on my spaceship. So the goal of the work is to rebuild that resilience. Emotional maturity allows us to develop a much needed confidence in our ability to tolerate the stresses of the world around us. So many of us now are spending so much more time at home, whether it's working or being around family members or children who are usually away at school, being in environments that are always with people where we don't necessarily have that space to just go and leave or go for that walk in nature. And it's really important to, to highlight here that while you may not be able to physically leave, it's important that you still take and create the time and space within your current surroundings to be able to close your eyes and go inward. Meditation is a really great one for this and a guided meditation. If you're unable to leave an environment, going inwardly, taking a walk through nature or listening to a guided meditation of nature sounds, doing that breath work where you are. I know time alone for me is, is very crucial. It's how I recharge. 
church and if I'm unable to take that space alone away from everyone else, then I need to take that space alone by going inward alone with myself, even if it means that there are people in the next room or in the room with me. And I I understand if you've got kids running around or you've got families at home, whomever, it's loud, it's noisy. Headphones are a really great one for this. I rely on my headphones to take me into that space or even just delete the noise of the city around me if I'm unable to leave and go find this utopia of a quiet place. Breathwork, again here, is really important. In that time you're spending with yourself, do that deep belly breathing. Place your hand on your heart. Um, You could even do a Google search for some different breathwork meditations. There's a lot of guidance that is out there and easily accessible for you. A really great one that we talk about and we do a lot in the self-healer circle is this grounding exercise. So using your five senses or using any senses that are available to you. So that would look like me right now sitting here and really saying, I can hear the cars driving by. I can feel the swivel of the chair underneath my body. I can see the bright light shining on my face as we're recording. I'm using all of my senses to check in and bring myself and my body into the present moment. Another way here is through distraction, and I want to be careful when we're talking about distraction. This is consciously chosen distraction. So if you are going to flip on the television and watch something, I know sometimes I notice when the TV's on, on certain shows, I look down at my watch and notice that my heart rate has actually plummeted. My body does go into a state of calm and relaxation usually because I'm feeding it something nourishing or I'm feeding it something that I like that is enjoyable or or resting. I'm not throwing on, you know, a violent television show or something that is going to activate me and all of these emotions, right? So it is very intentional and consciously chosen where you're diverting and putting your attention on. So distraction really is just picking something that works for you in a nourishing way to focus your attention on and kind of put blinders up to everything else. Thank you for bringing that point up, Jenna, because we do talk a lot about distraction and our spaceship um, as something to avoid. There are definite moments when we are able to show up in consciousness and make those conscious choices that that is the thing to do. Just like some moments we can't leave maybe our partner, we can, however, leave the conversation that might be activating us. So in the context that many of us are living in homes with other people, you know, stuck in many ways, it's really about like Jenna offered finding the the moments to regulate or taking the break to allow our body to naturally come down. The reality of it is, as Jenna mentioned at the start of this episode, you are going to all still have moments of reactivity. Like I mentioned, when I'm not meeting my emotional needs, when I'm not meeting my physical needs, my deepest core narrative of not being considered is right below the surface. And I'm my emotions then are waiting, you know, at reaction. And, and if I'm not able to consciously show up in those moments, I too can go back into those older coping tools that just don't work. Those moments of emotional reactivity, however, emotional activation, can actually provide us information. A lot of you might have heard the statement, right? Our triggers are our teachers. Essentially, anytime we're having a really big feeling about something, it's a great place to explore what deeper could be going on because typically there is something deeper. Big feelings are real. And let me repeat that. Big feelings are real. When we're talking about sensations in the body, when your heart rate begins to escalate, there's something very real going on. It might not be necessarily in the present moment. It might be that older wound coming to the surface, like the many moments 
when my wound of being not considered is right there at the ready. So some questions we can begin to ask ourselves, like Jenna offered earlier, as we become witness, we see, we see the sensations escalate, and then many of us begin to witness the stories. And we can begin to add some exploratory questions in here. We can begin to ask ourselves, what can I learn from what's happening here? We can maybe begin to explore what patterns brought me here, right? What led to this moment of escalation? Have I been eating well? Have I been sleeping well? Am I continuing to ruminate on a narrative that's not helping me, giving me no opportunity but to escalate in this next moment? How can I embrace the discomfort of what's happening right now and use it for awareness? Use it to help me create a space for a future new choice. And ultimately, how can I begin to practice forgiveness of myself? Each and every time we see those emotional reactions, a lot of us begin to accumulate shame and we feel very badly. So cultivating forgiveness for ourselves first, which then extends to all of the other emotionally reactive people around us, is another great point of exploration. How can I begin to shift from that critical voice that voice of judgment that shames me when I have these reactions to a much more compassionate one who can understand maybe where this reaction came from. For all of the parent figures and caretakers out there who are hearing all that we're saying, hearing, hearing these exploratory questions and thinking, oh my goodness, I have to you know, cultivate this emotional maturity in myself. I'm doing it in front of a child. How do I help the child? We, we know you're there. We understand that most parents from what we've seen, um, especially in the self-healer circle, this conversation comes up a lot. Everyone on the journey who is a parent or caretaker immediately um, almost goes into a panic of how do I apply or help this to my child so they don't have to do this. And how do I do that or how do I parent while I'm doing this too? So a note for our parents, we've got you. Um, this is a note taken directly from the book, How to Do the Work, on page 232 that quite literally starts with a note to parents. So just as you can cultivate emotional maturity in yourself, there are ways you can help cultivate it in children. As a parent figure, the best thing you can do for your child is to devote time and energy to making sure that you, you the parent figure, are taken care of. When you honor your body, learn how to harness the power of your nervous system response, access your authentic self, and model emotional regulation and flexibility, your child internalizes it all through co-regulation. Staying in a balanced and self-expressed state will help your child deal with their own moments of dysregulation, using you as a secure base to help return to safety. So your role when cultivating this emotional maturity as a parent is to focus on you. It's to cultivate it within yourself, to focus on your authentic self, your needs, your own regulation. As you're doing that, consciously and unconsciously teaching your child to regulate. Being a safe base is one of the most important things that a parent can provide. Children literally do need our nervous system to help co-regulate. So by being a safe person, parent figures can create the space for their child to safely, authentically express all aspects of themselves. Like Jenna said, by modeling authentic self-expression, parent figures can show their child that it's okay to be themselves, regardless of the reactions or not always in service of the validation from someone else. By helping children witness and objectively label their own body sensations, parent figures can 
help their own child understand their emotions. The note here that might be different from the parents themselves, right? Allowing your child to be with the sensations that are happening in your child's body, which might be completely opposite to how you might feel or are feeling in that same moment. By helping children to find their own ways to tolerate and soothe stress or emotions, parent figures can allow them to develop the same resilience and the same self-trust, helping them too to become safe people for the world around them. Again, same note here. The things that help our children soothe themselves might not be the things that help me soothe myself. So allowing our children to explore what works for them. By accepting imperfections in themselves and in the children around them, parent figures can help to model disappointment tolerance, right? The fact that we're not all perfect. We're not always going to show up shiny. There might be some aspects of ourselves that aren't for everyone around us. This for me is probably the hardest thing, learning how to tolerate disappointing others around me. And as we model that as parents, we then gift that to the children around us. If you are a parent or caretaker and you're even listening to this episode, you're doing the first step of gifting that to your children or the children around you. You're here listening. So what you choose to then do or implement is up to you and really take a moment now to acknowledge yourself for showing up to even listen to this podcast, to read how to do the work, to embody the teachings and put them into action, to nurture and create a safe space within yourself first. So if you're listening to this, kudos, we're cheering for you. We've got you. We know you're here and we're very proud of you for being here and really hope that you use this as an opportunity to shine the light back on you and just spend a moment extending that love and compassion to yourself. Even if you feels new or uncomfy and you haven't done that before. This is a big step and creating time and space to do the work, to listen to these podcasts, to read how to do the work, to embody the teachings are really big steps that may seem so minute and small, but in the long run, they're the big steps that really are laying the foundation and groundwork for your journey and for your future also of conscious parenting. So Great job for listening, for embodying, for being here, and also a lot of love and compassion from us to you, and hopefully from you to yourselves. Now, this brings us right into our first question, which comes from Anissa about just this, about that relationship with family and children while cultivating your own emotional maturity. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Anissa. I'm calling from Adelaide, Australia. Uh, the question is, where do you suggest I start if I only just discovered I lacked emotional maturity and emotional regulation and didn't even know about both personal and external boundaries? I'm 51 years old and my biggest challenge is interacting with my three adult children who obviously didn't learn emotional maturity and emotional regulation or boundaries from me. It's a real emotional poop show when we're all together. Um, as their mama bear, I want to model healthy emotions and gen end the generational trauma for our future grandbabies. I really want to learn what small daily promises to implement, what to use in my future self-journaling and stages to developing these skills. Thank you so much, Dr. Nicole and team. You have given me so much hope, love and light. Thank you, Anissa. 
sure asking a question that probably is resonating with a lot of you listeners out there. So as Jenna mentioned, Anissa's question is about cultivating emotional maturity within relationships with family. So first, I want to start by acknowledging Anissa and anyone else out there who is witnessing and able to acknowledge patterns of emotional immaturity. I'll be the first to say I have a lot of those in me. Emitting those moments, right, where we co-create or where we participate in, to use Anissa's words, the emotional poop show is a hard thing. I make it a point to honor and to acknowledge as a first step because it's so hard to be honest with ourselves in these ways, especially when we're participating in poop shows. And again, like I mentioned earlier, it's very common to see similar patterns of emotional maturity in our family members. I mean, these are the people with whom we had our earliest relationships. If they weren't in a regulated nervous system, chances are we weren't able to regulate our nervous system. And we see a lot of the similar coping tools being utilized because we're being modeled them by those same people. So again, the work, as Anissa is mentioning, is learning how to model new emotional maturity, how to cultivate that emotional resilience that Jen and I have been talking about. Of course, the first step is to really connect with the body and begin to break that habit of bringing all of our feelings up into our mind. Now, here's where I want to remind everyone listening that those stories aren't going to go away. All of those narratives, so for me, the I'm not considered narrative is at the ready. It's stored in my subconscious. It's been rehearsed so many times. Don't anticipate that it's going to go away immediately. This is where, like Jenna said, we have to show up and witness. We have to see, right, the first story being created of how, yet again, this is a moment where I'm not being considered. Don't expect that to go away. Use those tools to regulate your nervous system. Create that space. First, unhook your attention from that story, and then use those tools to create that regulation in your body. Now, Anissa mentioned something else that I want to touch on here, which is boundaries. Now, we did a whole episode on boundaries, so if you haven't yet listened to it, definitely go back and give it a listen because boundaries are incredibly important when we're talking about emotional regulation because boundaries, for many of us, help us to stay safe in our own bodies. For me, those resources that I was talking about earlier, boundaries help me make sure that I'm keeping my resources high enough or available enough to tolerate stress. So what do I mean when I say that? I might have to put up a boundary that I need more sleep if I'm not getting the sleep that I need. Maybe a boundary on my time where I go into bed earlier, right? If I'm not eating well, I might have to put up a boundary with myself to care for my body in a new way. If I'm overly stressed and I don't have resources, I might have to put up an emotional boundary and be unavailable to even the family members around me who might quote unquote need me at that time. So boundaries are going to be our best friend when we're creating that space for safety around our own emotions. Anisa started her question with asking where it's suggested that she begin. So for those of you listening, if you're resonating with this and wondering, well, where do I start? How can I start? A great place that Nicole mentioned earlier is with the body connection meditation that you'll find in the book, How to Do the Work. This can be found specifically on page 238. So this guided meditation is a practice for you to use throughout your day to really stay connected, to witness your body's ever-changing emotional state. Another tool that is on page 239 of how to do the work is the future self journal. So the future self journal prompts, and Anissa, you asked this in your question as well, what prompts do I use? What do I say? 
This future self journal is a tool used to help rewire your brain. And at the end of each chapter in how to do the work, you'll find future self journal prompts that are specific to that chapter. So on page 239, you'll see future self journal for an emotional body check-in that will actually give you examples of how to explore and maybe what to write or how to start off when first using these tools. Okay, our next question comes from Joshua in Mobile, Alabama. Hi, my name is Joshua Ward. I'm from Mobile, Alabama, and I wanted to call and uh, ask you a question regarding emotional maturity. It seems to me that emotional maturity is most greatly tested when we have challenge, uh, well, when we're having our beliefs challenged, you know, and our, our ability to be able to suspend our mere attachment to our beliefs as a means of control, you know, and have awareness that our beliefs are a means of truth, you know, a means of, uh, and so when we have challenged beliefs, you know, I think that tests our ability to really be mature, to look at each other's beliefs differently. With that said, you know, right now we are very, having a hard time with that in America. Everyone hates each other. Everyone I mean, both sides are, are, are becoming more and more, um, I think, visibly violent and verbally violent, you know, and I'm concerned about that. And I feel like your uh, holistic psychology approach is really what we need. And I wanted to ask you, like, how do you reconcile and feed a solution to the uh, into a, a collective emotional maturity? How can we... How can we engage ourselves in the collective dynamics of society without resorting to collectivism that diminishes our own individuality and others' individuality? I want to acknowledge Joshua and everyone out there who's able to make the connection right between when our beliefs are challenged and emotional reactivity, as Joshua said, becoming visibly or verbally violent. Um, a lot of us do this, and we see this in other people, again, when our beliefs are challenged. Those of you who joined us for the Power of Belief episode or the Ego episode, we talked a lot about where our beliefs come from. And to keep it simple, our beliefs come from our earliest experiences, which for many of us are painful. And what many of us come to do is we internalize our beliefs. Essentially, we merge ourselves with them. Our beliefs become an extension of us. So it's really understandable when we hear Joshua or when we see this reactivity in ourselves when our beliefs are challenged. It's really understandable if our beliefs are who we are, what's actually being challenged in that moment, or so we feel, is ourselves. So of course, many of us are going to spring into a defense, which might look like being violent, yelling, screaming, or diminishing everyone else's beliefs except for ours, because ours is the only right one. Now, what's important here, of course, is the whole topic of this episode, cultivating emotional maturity, beginning to create that space in those moments when that older reactivity would be there, when I would otherwise lash out or diminish someone else's beliefs, create space, allowing that separation, beginning to break the habit of personalizing someone's disagreement, separating ourselves from our beliefs. And within that space, we can now teach ourselves how to tolerate one of the most difficult things to tolerate, in my opinion, 
being misunderstood, having beliefs that do differ from those around us, and allowing others to hold on to their beliefs even when they differ from ourselves. When we begin to not take it personally, we begin to allow other people the freedom in that self-expression. What really sticks out to me in what you just said, Nicole, is that personalizing of someone else's disagreement and really beginning to practice the separation of that. We're all walking around in a world of taking everything personally. And Joshua, it's so important what you're saying and just noting in in that reactivity where quite literally we are now a world of all feeling like our beliefs are being threatened. We're being threatened. So if we as individuals aren't then doing the work to even acknowledge that this is what's happening and then do the work to cultivate that emotional maturity, we're all just walking around reacting and fighting each other from the same sort of desire to really just protect ourselves because we feel threatened. And what's so important to really emphasize again and again here is that any collective change is going to begin with individual change. You cannot quite literally change another person. You can't change a collective belief. What you can do is change and heal and transform your own beliefs about yourself and the world. And as you do that, as you, Joshua, and myself and Nicole and everyone listening, as we do the work to cultivate that emotional maturity within ourselves, we are the individuals that are all making up the greater collective. So that collective change is always going to begin with that individual change. What an inspirational message. And and the reality of it is, and I couldn't agree more that, you know, collective change, I think the change that so many of us are becoming aware of is necessary, really does come when we are whole ourselves and we, our needs are cared for when we're safe and when we're fully self-expressed. Because one of Jenna's favorite analogies that I really love myself is the puzzle piece. We all have so much skills in our uniqueness and the safer we are to express that, the more we do come together as a beautiful collective puzzle. So speaking of next episode, we're going to talk all about that separate togetherness in the concept of interdependence. Thank you all for joining us on this week's episode. We look forward to tuning in with you next week.